Hello again, everybody, and welcome into another edition of Political Beats, a presentation of National Review. You can find us on Twitter at political underscore beats. And subscribe to our feed for new episodes on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or TuneIn, plus nationalreview.com. Podcast tab, you'll find all the fine podcasts that National Review has to offer. One called Great Books is there. Uh, and ours called Political Beats, of course. Listen, share, enjoy, leave reviews, if you will. My name is Scott Bertram. You can find me on Twitter at Scott Bertram. My co-host standing by, Jeff Blair. Jeff, how are you? I don't know, Scott. I, I, I'm actually... Um, listen, I, I think our working relationship has gotten to the point where uh, it, it's really hard for me to deal with you in any creative context anymore. I think it's better that we just record our contributions in separate studios. But um, we, we, we already do that, and we have since the beginning. So, Well, th- then that, that's a good thing for the okay, show. Good. I, I guess I, maybe we won't, we won't break up at the height of our success. I, I think it's why we've made it so long thus far, really, if you ask me. At <laughs> Esoteric CD is where to find Jeff on Twitter. We uh, welcome in our guest today. He is director of the Dow Journalism Program at Hillsdale College, a national correspondent for National Review, head of the Student Free Press Association, which oversees the higher education news website, The College Fix. His latest book, just out recently, is called Reading Around, Journalism on Authors, Artists, and Ideas. He's also my boss. You can find him on Twitter at HeyMiller. It's John J. Miller. John, welcome into Political Beats. Thanks for having me on the show, guys. I'm a, I'm a fan of political beats. It's great to be here. And so we uh, we begin by asking uh, asking John, as we do all of our guests, because this is the show where we talk with people in politics, around politics, serving in politics, analyzing comment. But we talk don't talk any politics whatsoever. We talk about music, but we still have to ask. How did you get involved in this political arena, John? So I'm a I'm a writer for National Review, and actually, uh, uh, this month is my 20th anniversary with the magazine. I joined in 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 1998, and uh, uh, and I've been writing for it ever since in in different capacities and doing different things. Podcasting, I've been podcasting for 10 years with National Review, and. Uh, uh, my title is National Correspondent, but uh, recent articles I've done include uh, a piece on Nikki Haley, the uh, uh, United States Ambassador to the United Nations. So I got to go and, and, and meet her in New York and go to a Security Council meeting at the United Nations. And, and before that, I did a piece on uh, Governor Bruce Rauner of Illinois and some of his current troubles. And so uh, so that's the sort of work I do for National Review. And we... Uh we now introduce John's chosen band to discuss on this, the 22nd episode of Political Beats, uh, a short-lived band. I, I would have to go back and check. I don't know if they've had the, the fewest released albums of any band we've covered on the show thus far. If not, it's got to be close. Uh, five albums released from their tenure from 1977 to about 1984. An attempted reunion didn't go well in 1986. They did get back together to make a lot of money about 10 years ago on the Senior Circuit Tour playing uh, Wrigley Field and all over the place. Their lead singer went on to a successful solo career afterwards. You know him as Sting, and you know the band as The Police. Um, I know about The Police. I I always like to uh, uh, go back to my dad's record collection because he owned Synchronicity, and so that was my first introduction to The Police was taking out Synchronicity 
And for that reason, I always connect the cars and the police in my mind because my dad had both Heartbeat City and Synchronicity released uh, the same year. Huge albums, big, big hits, and then both bands were broken up in just a few years after. And I always remember, I remember I asked him at one point, why, why don't they make any more music? Well, son, they, they hate each other. They can't make music anymore, that sort of thing. Um, but that's, 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 that's where the police came in for me. John, tell us about the police. How did you get into them? What do they mean to you? Why should everybody else out there care about the music of the police? This is, this is the first band I really fell in love with. And, and like you, my introduction to them was, was the Synchronicity album. Uh, but before that, it was a particular song off that album called Wrapped Around Your Finger which uh, I, I, I'd heard songs by the police before then. Uh, you know, they'd had some big radio hits and so on. But, uh, but I was 13 years old, uh, trying to make a little money mowing lawns and uh, just starting to get into, into music in a, in a serious way. And so uh, when I first heard Wrapped Around Your Finger, uh, which is not a typical police song in a lot of ways, but uh, I found it mesmerizing. The, uh, the 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 way it went along and 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 the 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 quality of it it's it's kind of slow um it does it does it does speed up a little bit in the middle mm-hmm. but uh but i found it just 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 an enchanting song and um um also another thing that struck me about the song were were the lyrics and and right there at 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 the front end of the song in the opening lines is a reference to to Sill and Caribs and I was thirteen at the time but even I knew that was a reference to Homer's Odyssey <laughs> and I thought this was so great that, that that number one I was able to make the connection at all but then then to to think that that, that here's a rock band that actually would make a classical allusion in one of its songs and I just wanted to know more. synchronicity on on cassette tape mm-hmm. you know the most advanced technology at the time um, <laughs> um it, you know not the first album i ever bought but maybe about the third and certainly the one that just was in the tape deck playing over and over you know with 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 going from side one to side two back to side one over and over and over again and uh so so it's the first album i really loved and then and then the first band i really loved and 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 from there i i just went and picked up the other albums one of the nice things about the police in a sense is you you can get your arms around them pretty quickly there are only five albums guys 
I'm going to admit that I'm not entirely comfortable with the sort of painless way that the police have been inducted into the canon of all-time great rock bands without uh, too many second thoughts. Because I have, I have real problems with this group. Uh, problems, by the way, which you know do not in any way obviate the fact that they're a, a very good band, even a great band. Um, and yes, I think probably at the end of the day, I, I would agree that they deserve to make it into, say, the Hall of Fame. If we have like a Hall of Fame, but you know, like in the Hall of Fame for baseball, there are ba- there are you know players that get in first ballot. <clears throat> and then there's Jack Ruth. Morris, <laughs> right? And then there's Jack Morris, right? Or there's you know even Edgar Martinez, who I think is a, a worthy candidate, yeah. should J- be in J- the Hall. Jack Morris He's not going to make it into the ten. A years. deserving candidate overlooked for a very long time. Yeah, John's a Tigers fan. Yeah, no, Jack and now, now, I, now, I, now I'm on the Lou Whitaker train. Lou Whitaker should be in the Hall of Fame. Jack Morris should have to buy a ticket to get into the Hall of Fame. But we're off track. We're off track because the issue here for me is the police. On the face of it, there are so many great sort of sort of facile, obvious arguments to be made in their favor. I mean, the, the first one of them is, is, of course, the ubiquity of their hits. I, I, just like Scott said, and, and just like even John said, I, I grew up with the police as sort of a presence in my life you know, on the radio. Everybody knew Every Breath You Take. Everybody knew uh, Roxanne, Message in a Bottle, uh, Every, every little thing she does is magic. These songs were just sort of part of the topography of 1980s rock and pop music. They, they still are, and they still deserve to be, because those are all excellent songs, frankly. Um, and the other reason that I think everybody sort of just looks at the police and says, well, of course they're fantastic, is they're three individual members. Every single one of them was it, was brilliant at what they did and and sort of really you know stands out in particular for the quality of the work they brought sting um i actually don't think the thing that stands out for him is are his lyrics which i think can be sometimes verge on the pretentious although sometimes they're pretty clever and literate um it's his vocals Uh, the, the man's voice especially in his younger days was truly phenomenal and had a range uh, that that ran all the way from a baritone on songs like Every Breath You Take to, you know, the rubber bandy stuff like mm-hmm. Roxanne or any of the other songs on that first album, Outlandos to More. Truly a great vocalist. And then, of course, Stuart Copeland, who gets a huge amount of praise uh, for his drum work, I think, from every everybody who's, who's somewhat musically inclined, especially people who pay attention to drums, knows what a great drummer Stuart Copeland is. I also think he's an underrated songwriter as well. Uh, but I think also uh, Andy Summers deserves almost as much praise instrumentally as Stuart Copeland does and gets far less of it. I think Summers is a really innovative guitarist. And my favorite style of guitar, basically, uh, of all time is Robert Fripp's style. And Andy Summers is very much in that Robert Fripp mold, although playing in a much more sort of pop rock milieu. Uh, Fripp at that point had sort of dropped out because he canceled King Crimson in 1974 and he was kind of in his, uh, you know, he's, you know, meditating to uh you know jk bennett and lots of like weird esoteric spiritual concerns um in the uh, late 1970s and summers really kind of filled that role for him and sort of set the stage for what fripp would then do with the reincarnated king crimson on albums like discipline and beat they really influenced each other very heavily and in fact they collaborated on a pretty interesting album called i advance mast which is you know for the fans only but i think if you really like guitar it's worth it these are the reasons why 
the police seem like an easy choice for one of the great nominees to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, whatever the pantheon is that you, you choose to call it. But then I go back and I look at the work. I listen to the work, and the work doesn't hold up the way I expect it to. This is a band that never put out a truly perfect album. And I would think that they only actually put out a single album that isn't significantly flawed. And I think all the rest of their work on all the rest of their albums have at least a third of the material, which is either ranges from disposable to actually abominable and like very difficult to listen to. They were far more inconsistent than the best of their work makes you realize. And it's one of those things that always sits uncomfortably with, with me when I go back to listen to their albums. Uh, the hits are great, and they never really get old. And then some of the album tracks are actually quite remarkable as well. But the worst of The Police is almost shockingly unbearable. And I'm very surprised to go back and find it every time I keep thinking that it'll click for me and I'll get it. And I never have. So I hate to be the contrarian guy here, but I'm going to be talking about some of the uh, darker sides of The Police throughout this show. And I hope people don't end up you know, uh, setting me on fire at the end of it. No, that would never happen. So I'm going to push back on that, Jeff. This is one of the truly great bands. There are a lot of deep cuts that are very good that would have been hits if they'd been played on the radio. And uh, I completely agree with you about the, about the musicians. These are three remarkable musicians who, when they come together as the police, they're really greater than the sums of their parts. Um, um, they needed each other. Uh, Sting was Sting, Sting was an incredibly good songwriter, but he also needed Stuart Copeland, this 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 excellent drummer, and Andy Summers, this this virtuoso guitar player, to to to, to really make his stuff come to life. And I think we see and, that and to puncture his pretensions too, well, I would argue. possibly. And 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 you know we see that in his solo career, which has a lot of good material in it, but. Um, um, uh, he's he's nothing he's done in his solo career touches the best of his the best of his work with the police and I, I'll 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 say this is one of the great power trios in rock and roll and I don't know who you put in front of them as a great power trio I mean you, could, you we can talk about who's in that conversation you know there's, there's Rush there's the who yeah <laughs> there you go <laughs> uh, 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 Nirvana you know Grand Funk Railroad from That's Flint true. Michigan I gotta say uh, um, but I would I would say the police are the greatest power trio in rock and roll let's start digging in to the uh, the police and uh, and their catalog so uh, you have these three gentlemen, uh, aptly described by both John and uh, and Jeff, coming together. Uh, they were, uh, you know, their first album is, uh, uh, excuse me, Outlandish Demore. By the way, uh, Police, a DJ's worst enemy with all these non- nonsensical semi-foreign language album titles through their career well and that and that that album title actually does not mean anything in french i checked this with a french student the other day it's and it's supposed to sound like supposedly outlaws of love but that's right actually but but, but, not but he, how you but it say made it andos because he wanted to actually make it like outlaw commandos exactly yeah. so so they're there it's it's uh it's a uh, um um they're playing with words in, in in their album titles but this this first album is uh is is hard hitting by and large. I mean, it, it's it's the one where their most punk tendencies come to the surface, even though none of the guys have a real punk background, right? Um, next to you, the first song is just about as hard as they get through their their entire career uh, with a, a slide guitar solo from from Summers, which I think uh, Copeland thought it was dated, uh, but but it, I think it sounds pretty good. Next to you is a great way to kick off the the album. So lonely is probably my favorite track. 
on uh, on the debut album. Sting readily admits he stole uh, the melody from "No Woman, No Cry," um, and, and then into the chorus. Look, this was a ace band from the very start. Just listen to "So Lonely" and the and the tonal shifts and the and the uh, uh, just the seamless transitions from the metal portions of the song to the to the more punk tinged portions of the song. And I think it's a pretty darn good set of lyrics from Sting, too. In this theater that I call my soul, I always play the starring role. Uh, I always love that line from Sting. In this theater that I call my soul, I always play the starring role. Sonale, 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 sonale. is fantastic and someone else can maybe talk more about Roxanne I, w- I will say Copeland's drum sound is amazing on Roxanne love it love it uh, The Truth Hits Everybody one of my favorite uh, uh, album tracks from, from this record very up-tempo rock track and yet you know I, I will go back to what Jeff was talking about previously about there being some um, some filler and some disappointing tracks on every album look going back and listening to all these albums all the way through uh, I, I tend to be a little more on Jeff's side than, I guess, John's side on this. I think there are some tracks on basically all of these albums that don't hold up, and, and you, you would just press skip and go right by them on, on, on this one. Uh, I think Be My Girl fits that category. I think Born in the 50s fits that category. Listen to Born in the 50s, and I hear We Didn't Start the Fire. I think it might be because we had Billy Joel as a topic on the show just a few weeks ago, but talking about all these <laughs> things that were happening in the 1950s. Um, so Outlandish to more, you know, there's a question, you know, what is The Police's best album? I'm going to have to figure this out by the end of the episode, I suppose. I think there's an excellent argument. It is this album, which is weird because it's probably the one that sounds least like the rest of their career and perhaps the least representative of what these guys actually wanted to do as a band. And yet I still think it might be their best. And I think that's weird. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. First of all, I, I think there's the thing you got to understand about the police, and I think one of the things I like about them. First of all, I think one of the things I like about them is they all kind of have a sense of humor about themselves. Even Stig, who's a pretentious git, uh, seems to actually enjoy taking the piss out, particularly when it comes to Stuart Copeland. So <laughs> since they all like to rank on each other and make fun of each other, um, uh, they all have a pretty uh, funny sense of humor about their early career. And the thing you got to know about the early police is that they were essentially marketed under false pretenses. Yeah. Uh, Orlando Stamore is. The police as punk, and if there's anything you can say about a guy who comes from jazz drumming and a guy who comes from prog rock guitar, and Sting, who's a pretentious you know ex teacher with you know English you know English lit tendencies, is that they're not punk. They're the farthest thing imaginable from punk music, and yet they sort of contour their styles to fit. This they even dyed their hair blonde. Uh, they all got like goofy blonde dye jobs because it just seemed to be like the style of the time that would help them pass when they played club gigs. They were really shameless about going for it. And so in a way, this is the police slumming. You can tell they're playing music that is, you know, their technical abilities, all of them. Sting was a pretty decent bassist too, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he knew how to play that instrument. Uh, they're playing 
playing in music then in some ways is simpler than what they're capable of doing, but I don't think it's any poorer for that. I love this album. I don't even think that the tracks that you singled out <clears throat> as being uh, you know, filler on this one bother me particularly much. I like Born in the 50s, but I really like – and I'm going to sound stupid saying this. I like the stupid song about the blow-up doll. I like Be My Girl, Sally. <laughs> yes, I know. In the middle of it, Andy Summers delivers a monologue about falling in love with a plastic inflatable sex doll. Um, but hey, you know, if we allow um, if we allow uh, Brian Ferry to do it on In Every Dream, Home of Heartache uh, for Roxy Music, I'm going to let the police get a- away with a much sillier version of that for Outlandos Demore. It's funny to realize that there actually is a, a subgenre of British rock songs <laughs> about blow-up dolls. It's a thing there. I don't know. Uh, but the rest of the songs in this album are fantastic. Roxanne actually is one that interests me the least. Um, I just think it's funny to note that they got into reggae as a theme, as a sort of a genre to play as the band because they were too good at their instruments and reggae at least gave them an excuse to stretch out somewhat on a more difficult and interesting meter. Right. They were tired of playing just sort of straight ahead, you know, chunka, 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 three chord pop. But man, uh, Can't Stand Losing You, what a fantastic song. Yes, it is, it is completely inappropriate for modern sensibilities. It is directly about suicide. The album cover was literally Stuart Copeland, the, the, the cover. single cover, the 45 cover, was Stuart Copeland uh, with a noose around his neck wearing a bag over his head, standing on a block of ice, waiting for it to melt away so he could hang himself. And yes, it's a very grim image, but it's also hilarious because of the self-pitying nature of the song where Sting is like, yeah, like you've left me and I can't get can't get to you to contact me and your brother's going to kill me. And he's six feet ten. And I don't know. I laugh at it every time I hear it. And I just absolutely adore Truth Hits Everybody as well. I think I would single that out as one of my all time favorite police songs This muscular and as straight ahead aggressive rock as they ever got in their entire career maybe synchronicity at the end of their career synchronicity too is similarly kind of straight ahead thunderously rocking but man i love truth hits everybody especially with those those harmony vocals in the chorus So lonely next to you, peanuts. I even like this is a tendency on all all, all police albums. They have instrumentals, uh, basically to fill time. But the one that concludes Outlandos is Masoko Tanga. I like that too. It's a very kind of a long, uh, very groove-oriented tribal instrumental driven by Stuart Copeland, and I think it actually earns its five and a half minutes. This is. Yeah, I'd say this is their best album, and it's certainly the album that has the least filler material. It has the least questionable music moments on it. 
And um, I guess I also like the fact that it's very com- you know it's very different from everything else they did. I like this album backward and forward, up and down. Uh, the only part I don't like, Jeff, is the Andy Summer spoken word bit in "Be My Girl," <laughs> which, which, so I, you know, this, for me, this this is nine and a half out of but ten. But that's this, a snappy a, little post punk riff that opens you know, it up. But oh, the, I, I just wish they turned it into a song. Right. I mean, the 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 be my girl. So the Sally part of it is the one we don't like or the one I don't like the the be my girl part of it. That's a great song. And they should they should have they should have drawn that out and done something with it. It just felt like a throwaway. And they put on the spoken word thing. And and uh, it winds up being a a disappointment that 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 shows potential, but a disappointment nonetheless. But there's there's a there's a funny story about about this album and, and, and what it's called and, and you talk about their 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 punk look and, and so on. It does it does have that 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 look. Um, originally their their manager, Miles Copeland, the brother of Stuart the drummer, Miles of course who'd who'd gone have a distinguished career in, in music management and running a music label and this sort of thing. Yeah, Ma- run IRS Records. Exactly. Which is the label it, of REM. I mean a lot others. a lot a lot of great bands we know went through Miles Copeland. Miles Copeland thought they should call the album Police Brutality. And he also thought that the band should, should put on these police uniforms and be, be, be photographed interrogating a scantily clad woman. And this is like this is like spinal tap stuff, right? This is this is smell the glove before spinal tap, right? And someone someone had the good sense to say no way. And that that would not have been a very punk uh, punk look. But at any rate, um, um, they went with the title they have, and it's it's an attractive cover, and it's very much of its time. This is a this is a great album that fuses the energy of punk with with reggae music. And 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 if you've got to if you've got to define the police in just a single sentence, it's there the band that. Rock, brought rock and reggae together and did something with it. The, the first track on the album is Next to You, uh, a wonderful, punky song. I want to point out, it, it begins with drums, which is, which is interesting because uh, Stuart Copeland was so important to this band. So the first, the first sound you hear on the first song by the first album with this band is, is Stuart Copeland's drums, drums, and that's so appropriate. But it's a great song. It's a catchy song. the last song that they played together live in that reunion tour they did they did it it's the final song of their encore um next we have so lonely which which as scott said is is a retread of that bob marley song i think is better than the bob marley song um it's a song about loneliness and yet the singing and the music is so joyful um if you're ever lonely go put on this song um, you might, you might, you might still be by yourself when it's over, but you'll feel better about things. It's, it's just, it's, 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 a, it's, it's a, it's a peppy song. It's catchy. It's, it's, it's de- a delightful song. Then we, the third track is, is Roxanne, which is, you know, is this the signature song of the police? Um, um, it might be, it's, uh, um, um, it, it's, 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 you know, one of their big early smash hits. 
Um, I'll point out Roxanne, of course, is a prostitute in the song. It's it's a literary reference, and it's 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 a reference to the the female character in Cyrano de Bergerac, and the story is. Um, the band is in Paris and they're they're recording or playing a show or whatever they're doing. And Sting looks down this alleyway where a bunch of prostitutes are gathering and, and going about, you know, their commerce. And he sees a sign for a, a poster for for a performance of, of Cyrano de Bergerac. And and, and and then he goes back up to his room and, and, and writes the song about a man who's in love with a prostitute and, and but but can't have her. And, and so so it has you don't need to know any of that to appreciate Roxanne and what it is that the, the Cyrano de Bergerac background. But but there it is. And, and when you hear that story, you, you begin to sense that there's, there's a depth to some of these songs that, that, that you might you might miss on 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 first listen. Um, I like all the other songs on this album. I, I, I even like Born in the 50s. Um, Masoko Tanga, the instrumental that winds it up at the end, you know, that'll never be a radio hit, but, but still I find it just, I can listen to it with, with great pleasure. So, so this is a, this is a very strong album. The only thing I cut from it is that spoken word bit in, uh, in Be My Girl. Political Beats here, presentation of National Review with Scott Bertram, Jeff Blair, and John J. Miller today. Find them on uh, Twitter at Hey Miller, director of the Dow Journalism Program at Hillsdale College and national correspondent for National Review is Latest book, Reading Around, Journalism on Authors, Artists, and Ideas. Uh, The reggae uh, theme, I guess, hammered home with the title of the second album, Regatta de Blanc, White Reggae, basically. Uh, The police's second effort. They were a little short on songs for this one, and so they were going back and trying to pick and choose from things they had from a few years ago. I think that shows a little bit... But I think the album starts with a song that has a great argument to be the band's best, Message in a Bottle. Uh, the It's a more straightforward Sting vocal in this in this song, as opposed to, he was growling almost a lot of his lyrics on that first album. I'm thinking of Next to You, I'm thinking of Born in the 50s. Uh, this is a little more mature uh, of a vocal styling from Sting on Message in a Bottle. Um, it's a great summer's riff. Uh, Copeland's drumming is outstanding on Message in a Bottle. And that, that, that coda, you know, where well, we got about 60 seconds to go in the song and, and the, the instruments kind of sustain. And then you get the da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And then the sending up an SOS. For the, I love that portion of the song. I, I think Message in a Bottle has uh, a good argument to be the best police song that they did in their careers. On the album, uh, Bring On The Night is a, is a haunting kind of track. It almost has an atmospheric feel to it. It's not like a lot of other things the police did in their career. Um, kind of a fan of Contact. Uh, that's a big, you know, Jeff mentioned Sting's a pretty decent bass player. Uh, give him credit for that. He plays uh, a great bass line on, on Contact. Um, 
But I think this is Stuart Copeland is a pretty good songwriter on that song, which is yep. where I'm going when I get to my part. I won't interrupt you. Though. That's okay. Yeah, it's a Copeland track. But um, you know, again, I think you know they're pretty inconsistent here. Uh, I've never been a fan of Walking on the Moon, and I think that I think there's a, a I think many police fans really like it. To me, it's it's so sparse. There's barely a song there. never been a fan of Walking on the Moon. I don't like Death Wish so much. It seems like a very meandering track to me, never really arriving. And I, I'll throw it to Jeff, I guess, with the question, what do you think of, because I, I don't know, I just don't know, what do you think of On Any Other Day, the Copeland track that he also sings on? Its goofiness kind of grows on me. It's goofy. It's not It's not mother-level terrible. We're talking about <laughs> songs written by the other members of the band. Um, but it's nothing nothing really to write home about. I don't think it's a particularly good song. And I think this is actually fairly weak for a police album. You have situations where some of their weakest – they've only got five albums, right? But the two ones that I think are their weaker two albums uh, are notable for having some of their best music on them. So in this case, Message in a Bottle, obviously – is you know one of the greatest songs the police ever recorded it's kind of a song that it's almost superfluous to comment on because it's one of the like four or five songs that every single person who's listening to this podcast has already heard and the only reason i'm not going to even be including it in my top five at the end of the show is simply because you know one of you two probably already beat me to it you know (laughs) it's it's just so well known that it's almost pointless to single out um but the real problem with this album is that so much of the other stuff is also similarly just sort of filler i mean no time this time is the conclusion of the album i think it was actually a b-side they had originally just intended it to be like a a non-album b-side from the outlando sessions and they were like crap we don't have enough music they revived that they have you know again another instrumental and this one is a good one i actually think regatta de blanc is a pretty good instrumental song um probably one of their best instrumentals they have them on every one of these albums and surprisingly the police instrumentals usually are fairly decent i Mm -hmm. actually don't I generally consider them to be the problem points on a lot of the police albums but i think it's all right for you death wish on any other day no Time This Time and uh, Walking on the Moon are all kind of subpar songs. I agree with you completely, Scott, about Walking on the Moon. I think it's their least deserving hit. I think it's, again, it's not offensive, but it does absolutely nothing for me. And as you say, there's almost no song there. But what I do want to – oh, and I also really don't care for the other single, uh, The Bed's Too Big Without You. It's okay. It's a little bit too um, too confused and too tumbly. It, it, it takes the reggae beat and I think it compounds it far too much to the point where it becomes almost hard to get a a firm grip on the actual song itself. What I do want to praise here is Stuart Copeland, who was a far better songwriter in his limited spots than almost anybody except serious police fans really seems to realize. Contact may be my favorite song on this record that isn't Message in a Bottle. I love Contact. I love Contact. Uh, Sting sings it, which is, by the way, a good thing. I don't really want anybody but Sting singing a police song, frankly, because like if you've got that talent, why not use it? Um, but I love uh, the guitar lines. Whenever 
Copeland brings a song to the band, Andy Summers feels free to go kind of nuts with as much arpeggiated guitar and very frippertronic kind of stuff that that you know he can get away with because I think Copeland gave him a freer hand on that. And so I love that. I love the chord changes on that. I love the chorus of Contact. And as you said, I think the bass on that is great. I've got contacts in my book and in my eyes. My good connection on the telephone never I also think Does Everyone Stare? That's a wonderful song. The only problem with that song is that it opens with the sort of clunky Copeland at the piano, like demo version, that, before it kicks into the full band. That, the piano, full band that, that piano line, I was listening to it again today, reminds me of um, the piano line from Stripes, you know, when, when Bill Murray yeah. loses yes. his pizza. It's got da-dun-dun-dun-dun. It sounds very, I'm not saying it was stolen, but yeah, it sounds similar. Yeah, but those are two good songs, and those are both written by Copeland, and I think those are really kind of close to the highlights of the album. You take away, again, Message in a Bottle, it's like it almost stands outside of this album. It's sort of part of the police's fixed legend. On the rest of this album, I think the only other really great song that Sting gets is Bring On the Night. And again, Bring On the yeah. Night is a, is a song that is completely sold for me by uh, – this is the moment, I think, in the entire – police discography where Andy Summers announces himself as somebody who is he's not just you know the guitarist in this interesting post-punk band that has pop hits he is just doing fascinating uh, fascinating arpeggiated interwoven guitar work on that song and he brings that actually to the next album in a major way which is why I think the next album is probably the most interesting one of the police's career from a purely guitar perspective so I think Bring on the Night is great I like Regatta and I love the, the, the Copeland songs and of course Message in a Bottle is fine but that leaves half of this album where I'm just you know again I'm just sort of kind of going back and I keep listening to these records and expecting myself to find it all coming into town for me but it never does I find half of this album to be completely disposable uh, in a way that I do not think is the case for their next one, which I think is a real is a real uptick from here. So this uh, Regatta de Blanc 1979 for a long time, if you had asked me, what is your favorite album by the police? I would have said this. Um, we'll see if it's on my two at the end. Leave you in suspense it's on that tease, one. It's a tease, folks. Yeah, it's a tease. Stay till the end. Find out. Um, Hyping it up. Yeah, exactly. Um, I really like this album. It's um, it's 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 less punk, obviously, than the first one. It's more reggae. This is where the where where the reggae really takes hold. I think with this band, you see the influence. You see how the, how they blend it with rock and roll to make something that 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 sounded like nothing else at the time, at least to my ears. Um, it's a little more polished. I think the production's a little bit better. Message in a bottle. What 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 more do we say about that great guitar riff? Um, I said Roxanne was the signature police song, and what I mean by that is if you, if you go to a police show. And, and you say, like, what's the one song they absolutely have to play? The answer to that is probably Roxanne. But, but Message in the Bottle for me is maybe the quintessential police song. So if you, if, if you have to pick one song that, that, that defines them in, the, in, in their purest form, mm -hmm. it's this one, mm -hmm. right? This is, it's, just a, it's just a masterpiece of, of, of rock pop music. Um, 
Sting it doesn't have, doesn't have many um, um, reggae influences. Although Sting sings it with almost like he's a Jamaican, and uh, of course it has this this castaway thing, which sort of feels lyrically this castaway thing, which which feels uh, Caribbean uh, vaguely. Um, uh, Bring on the night, a great song. It's an old Sting song. It's from a band he um, he was in before the Police called called Last Exit, and uh, a lovely song. He 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 revived it on his. Um, um, later in his career, uh, he, he, he did a, he did a, he, he, he did a live album, live solo album. It's called bring on the night. Um, and uh, it's a, a lovely song. The, uh, the second line of it I'll say is, uh, when the evening spreads itself against the sky and that's taken from T.S. Eliot's love song of J. Alfred Prufock. Right. It's just another one of these references. Right. And you don't you don't need to know that to like the song. But there it is. And I just it just gives it just gives these lyrics more 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 depth. My favorite Copeland track on here is one that he co-wrote with Sting. And that's "It's All Right for You." Um, that's that's I think the best. It might be the best uh, song in, in 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 the whole discography of the Police that that, that on, on which Stuart Copeland gets a song credit. That this is probably my favorite one. Although I do like the other ones you guys mentioned. Um, I'm a little iffy on the um, um, on any other day. It's it's catchy. Uh, I don't know the lyric. I get a little bit worn out on the lyrics. I think they are a little bit goofy. Walking on the moon. I love. I could just listen to that song forever, and it goes on and and, and I, I don't. It does. Yeah, it, it you know it's almost it's five minutes long, um, but <laughs> but but just I just love the groove. I love the sparsity of it. You you hear the musicians. You hear the great drum work from Stuart Copeland. This is one of the things about a power trio, by the way, is when you've only got three guys playing instruments. It, it heightens the importance of each one rather than, you know, a band where you've got a rhythm guitar and keyboards and all that kind of stuff. And it, it, it means you've got to be that much better to uh, to have a great song. And, and Walking on the Moon, I just love it. It's, it's, I think it's a love song. I think it's about um, um, uh, you know, love defying gravity. And, and there's a lightness to it, a bounciness to it, to, to the music itself, I mean, that, 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 that feels like the theme of the song. So I, I, I really like that one. And, and The Bed's Too Big Without You, I like that a lot also. It's a breakup song, uh, like Walking on the Moon. It's heavy with the reggae, and uh, you know, it fades in. A lot, you know, police songs always fade out at the end. This one fades in. Whenever, whenever I hear that with a band, I think, well, they missed their cue, and they kept <laughs> and they and they kept playing in the studio. And I don't know what the what the story is about this one, but again, this is a song I could just listen to this song forever. And the the fade in and the fade out just just makes me feel like you know they're they're somewhere in a studio jamming to this song and never stopping. And and you know I wouldn't mind I wouldn't mind being at that show. 
So I like this. I like this album quite a bit, and uh, you know, I'll, if 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 they have a few songs you could call filler, the filler's really good. <laughs> uh, Political beats: Scott Bertram, John J. Miller, Jeff Blair. You can find us on Twitter at political underscore beats. Subscribe to our feed for new episodes. iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, or nationalreview.com. To find new episodes on Mondays, please listen, leave reviews, find old episodes as well. Zenyatta Mandata, the third album from The Police. Uh, one where the uh, songs begin to get really big. Don't Stand So Close to Me, the huge hit from this album. Um... I think Jeff is going to say, Jeff is going to like this album based on previous yeah. comments. I'm a little disappointed, disappointed is not the right word, but I think this album to me is a little, is a little dull, um, is a little gray. Um, there's a lot of songs about the declining state of the world and, you know, that this is, this is going to be a, a, a topic that Sting brings back, uh, of course, over and over again, both in the rest of the Police albums and into his solo albums as well. Uh, the band said they felt rushed to complete this one. Last time they were short on songs. This time they were rushed to complete it. They, what, they finished the album. They, they left out a world tour the next day, I think, is well, how the story goes. And there's only a handful of songs I think really stand out. Driven to Tears uh, is a great song. Uh, it's this angular guitar solo from, from Andy Summers and an insistent beat from Stuart Copeland. Uh, Driven to Tears is great. When the World is Running Down, uh, repeating a three-chord progression for about four minutes, but darned if they don't get the most out of it. I, I do like When the World is Running Down, you make the best of what's still around. And actually, the, actually the very next track, Canary in a Coal Mine, uh, kind of a ska-tinged uh, song. It's only about two minutes long, 210, 212, somewhere in that range. And that, you know, one of the complaints, I guess, I would have about The Police overall is some of their songs do, I guess like Walking on the Moon, John loves it, it bothers me a bit when they are repeating this these three chord progressions for four and five minutes. Canary in a coal mine gets in, makes its point, gets out. I can dig that. Copeland track on here I like a lot is, is Bombs Away. Um, it's got a pretty catchy chorus, uh, even if it's a, a bit dark. Uh, uh, and and uh, other than that, you know, don't stand so close to me. I was surprised by how little the track did for me upon repeated listens getting ready for it. I mean, I heard the track since I was whatever years old, so I'm certainly familiar with it. But in terms of the track itself, I, it left me a little cold, and, and the whole album leaves me a little cold. Um, Zenyatta Mandata... I think I would put that on the bottom of my list of police albums. Okay, okay, listen, listen. I'm going to let you finish, but i got to explain to you why you're wrong on everything you've just said here. Uh, first thing I will agree with you on is it's uh, Don't Stand So Close to Me is a very strange experience if you were raised on that Every Breath You Take, the singles, Police Greatest Hits album, uh, which had the remake version from 1986, the very kind of glossy mid-'80s, 
don't stand so close to me. Mm -hmm. And then you go back and you hear the original, much sparer, much more stark version. And even the chorus itself feels ghostly and and almost fragmentary compared to, again, you know, sort of, you know, the big brassy 80s remake version, which I think a lot of people consider to be the height of poor taste. But it's funny about how the first thing you hear is what conditions you to hear the the original in a different context for the rest of your life. But I like this album a lot. I might even go so far as to say that I love this album. I think this album uh, is, is up there with their debut as their best. And I say that uh, because, again, for me, it's a question of what are the bad songs on it? What are the songs on this record that I don't like? And there's really only one, and that's Shadows in the Rain, mm-hmm. which I think is an appalling song. Uh, it's five minutes of uh, pointless noise. Uh, and Sting just kind of goes on and on. It, again, you know, it feels like a very kind of half-baked, unthought-out lyrical fragment. I'll buy you know, the idea that they were struggling for material at this time. But on so much of the rest of these songs, they came up aces despite that. I think that, um, you know, Canary in a Coal Mine is a fantastic little ska number. And my only real objection to Man in a Suitcase is that I liked it better when it was called Canary in a Coal Mine. So aside (laughs) from the fact that, yes, there's a a rewrite of one song on the second half of the album and Shadows in the Rain is terrible, what else do we have? What we have is an album where I think Andy Summers is at the absolute height of his creativity when it comes to his guitar work, you know, and John was talking just in, 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 when we were talking about regatta just a couple of minutes ago about what he liked about, you know, a trio when there's only drums, bass and, 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 and one guitar. Well, this is kind of a very different uh, look on a quote power trio because on these out al- on this album in particular, you have summers overdubbing himself with it several times on when the world is running down. I think there are at least four different guitars playing. On um, Bombs Away and on Do 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 Do, uh, there are at least three different guitar tracks. Uh, so this stuff sounded very different in live performance. But what I love about it is that Summers is, is very, very clearly trying to import that dissonant and angular Robert Fripp style into a pop context. And it was absolutely – they'd known each other since the early 60s, like since they met in like Bournemouth, England. So it's no surprise that they'd always you know, kind of known one another and that Summers had been paying attention to Fripp's work with King Crimson. Fripp had known Summers' stuff in Curved Air. And then when Summers suddenly makes it big fronting a quote-unquote punk band, uh, it's no shock that he would soon start trying to bring their music – to a different kind of a level and what you end up with on songs like driven to tears and when the world is running down you make the best of what's still around is a fantastic hybrid of sort of standard post-punk and some very much more avant-garde concepts the guitar solo quote unquote on when the world is running down is just one long note held as mm-hmm. a sustain mm-hmm. for the entire uh, like i think four bars that it's played there, there, there's no there's no oscillating up and down there's no melodic solo it's just one that almost sounds like feedback guitar feedback in, in a way
Uh, and in Voices Inside My Head has a similar thing going on. And then you have the freshness of a song like Do 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 Do, Da 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 Da, which everybody makes fun of because of the title, right? You know, it's just like literally nonsense syllables. And yes, there is that one lyric in Do 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 that doesn't scan well. Well, I mean, I can't imagine it scanned really well back then. It doesn't scan that well today, but where Sting talks about logic tying him up and raping him um, right in the <laughs> chorus there. And it, it just kind of stops you short every single time. But I love that song. I think that song sounds so fresh. I think that song, in some ways, I prefer to message in a bottle, uh, uh, which it sounds like, you know, sort of a, sort of a twin or at least a younger brother to love that song i love the first half of this album which i think from don't stand so close to bombs away is pretty much flawless and then the second half again behind my camel uh, actually won a grammy for best instrumental although some people don't like it i like it it's andy summers doing this weird exotic eastern and middle eastern instrumental and it's a really interesting change of pace it's, it's as far from the police as you would have ever expected um, I find this album to be actually one of the few police albums that I get excited about listening to because I think that their post-punk approach, which is this is the last time that they would sound like this. They sort of they, they moved out into a completely different direction with their next album. This is where, to me, it's at their most exciting and freshest and spontaneous, despite the fact that this is the one that has much more studio complexity and layering of music than any of their previous records. So Zenyatta Mandata, 1980, another album with a kind of nonsense name to it. You know, what does Zenyatta Mandata mean? Um, he's got Zen at the front. And Mandata is supposed to rhyme with Regatta from the, from the, from the previous album. But it's basically a nonsense name. I think this is, their, the, this is the least great, great album they did. They did five great albums, and this is the least great. So I'm, what I'm saying is I, I really like it. And uh, if I have to vote one off the island probably with great regret pick this one um don't stand so close to me uh great song um um uh interesting subject matter this is uh this is this is a retelling of nabokov's lolita of course uh and by the way can we can we point out that sting the great lyricist rhymed uh nabokov or with cough like that's the best he could do yeah this well, is well actually i'm gonna blame sting for making me mispronounce nabokov's name yeah for literally 25 years. I just did it because of him. <laughs> well, so, so, exactly. I thought it was Nabokov. Typical rock rhyme. But what are, you know, what are, what are the rock star refers to him in, in a song? Here we have it.
Uh, Driven to Tears, a good reggae song. This might be the first really political song Sting does. Mm. Um, uh, he, he avoids politics for the most part on on the previous two albums. They, they start to they start to enter a little bit here. I think I think pretty gentle. I think, but but there it is in in, in Driven to Tears, which is which is. Um, uh, you know, sadness for the plight of of of, of people in, in in poor countries. Um, when the world is raining down, great song. Canary in a coal mine is catchy. Um, uh, uh, Man in a suitcase is, is catchy in the same kind of way. Da do 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 da 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 da. I I like it. I I keep thinking. You know, at some point the the the, the chorus is just silly. Um, I'm going to turn on it, and, and I remember queuing it up. You know, I hadn't listened to it in a while. Queuing it up, preparing for this show, and thinking, gosh, that's such a great guitar at the start. I really like the, the melody of this song and, 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 the, and, the, and the chorus, da-do-do-do-da-da-da-da. I think it's a satire of, of simplistic bubblegum pop, you know, the do-wa-diddy kind of thing. And this thing's kind of making fun of that. So there's, you think it has no substance, but actually maybe it does. Um, Shadows in the Rain, the, 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 the one that uh, is getting the thumbs down here from my friends, um, um, it's slow. It's uh, it feels muted and distant. Um, it does have a great opening couplet, which is uh, "Woke up with my woke up in my clothes again this morning. Don't know exactly where I am." That's a great start to a song, but um, um, I think it doesn't quite come off this song. I think there's a I think there's a really good song buried in it, and what convinced me of that is that Sting re-recorded it for his first solo album, Dream of the Blue Turtles. And it's a much more up-tempo kind of song at that point. Um, he makes it jazzy, has these, which, which I, I, I don't love, but, 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 if, but if the police had just kicked it up a notch with the song, I think they would have had a very good song. So, uh, so I like this album a lot. I can, uh, I can listen to it over and over again, but I will say it, it is the least great of five great albums. Okay, well, this brings us to Ghost in the Machine, uh, 1981, the next year. And, uh, boy, I think you can really kind of draw a curtain uh, between the first three albums of The Police's Career and then the last two albums of The Police's Career. Uh, this is the record where I think, you know, sort of in common parlance, it's the one with all the damn horns. <laughs> it's the one with all the synthesizers <laughs> and the horns. Suddenly the police do not sound like a spiky power trio. Suddenly they sound like a group. Uh, with a a cast of thousands doing uh, you know all sorts of backing instruments, whether it's synths, whether it's piano, whether it's these horn parts, um, it, it it qualitatively feels different in terms of its sonic presence than anything that comes before. And I will be the first person to say that I think this album is just a flipping mess. I really really am disappointed by by Ghost in the Machine. It's a great great title and almost i'm angry that they wasted that title on 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 such a subpar record and and the the irony of this is that it contains in my opinion the single finest thing that the police have ever recorded uh, their best song uh and in fact probably a song that is more purely stings song than anything else that the police ever did among their great hits and that is every little thing she does is magic
remember hearing that song as a child and hearing that opening, you know, cymbal from uh, Copeland as it comes in. And then you hear the piano building, which I think was actually played by uh, you know, a guest musician that Sting brought in to play on his original demo. You hear these, these creeping synthesizers in the background, which is, again, very much different from the prior police aesthetic. Uh, and you think, well, okay, what's going on here? And then it begins with that great lyric, just the greatest love lyric I think Sting ever wrote. You know, about and I tried before to tell her all the feelings I have for her. Every time I get near her, I lose my nerve, as I've done from the start. And that, that absolutely ecstatic chorus and the fantastic middle eight, um, where it's almost sort of like childishly dreamy. I resolved to call her up a thousand times a day and ask her if she'd marry me in some old-fashioned way. I think this is the finest thing the police ever did. And I know I'm probably, if not alone on that, I'm definitely in a minority. But I'm so disappointed that the rest of this album fails to live up to it. I think Spirits in the Material World, the, the first song, is a, is a really excellent tune, uh, kind of repurposing reggae in a much more synth-heavy way. Uh, and then beyond that, I find so little on this record to praise Maybe Omega Man, which I think is the best song Andy Summers ever wrote. I think that's a really interesting song with a really aggressively nasty guitar line running throughout it, which again proves that Summers was really trying to push the envelope with what he thought he could get away with in a pop context. But all of those horn horn workouts on Demolition Man and Hungry for You where Sting, Sting sings the entire song in French for crying out loud and then Too Much Information, Rehumanize Yourself, One World Not Three it just feels like they're churning out generic slop to fill a record and I have never been able to get past this. I have given this record I mean I would say I've listened to it 60 times and it never has improved for me. And uh, again, I think even Invisible Sun, which a lot of people praise as one of the police's finest songs, I find it to be a very sulky and uninspiring, gormless pop song that doesn't have a chorus that pays off the uh, the sort of appealing ominousness of its verses. So yeah, I think Ghost in the Machine is a huge disappointment. And uh, now I'm, I'm ready to take it straight in the chops from you two. All right, so Ghost of the Machines is just a great, great album. 1981, the title comes from, from Arthur Kessler, the, uh, the, the novelist. He, he had a book called Ghost in the Machine, and uh, better known for his, uh, his novel, best known for his novel Darkness at Noon, a great anti-totalitarian tract from the, from the 20th century. And I'm going to jump right in and, 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 and defend Invisible Sun. It is a great song by the police. Um, um, it, it's it's the, the music is haunting and yet the lyrics are hopeful. It's about you know there there has to be an at a moment of of our greatest despair there must be an invisible sun something that keeps us warm and and I don't I don't need to go you know all 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 all, all religious on you people but um 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 people of faith will listen to that and they 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 will hear a certain thing whether Sting intends it or not who knows but um I think it's a song about God. And, 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 and the need to have hope in, in the midst of despair and the fact that you can have hope in, in the midst of despair. It's just a, it's just a tremendous song. Love Spirits in Material World. 
Um, they're they're as you say, they're, they're it sounds a little bit different now. You know, there is they're 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 experimenting with some different instruments, trying to do some other things. You know, and I don't know. It seems to me like. Uh, uh, you don't want a band to sound the same all the way through its career, and and here they're experimenting, they're doing some different things, um, and I, I think it pays off, and you start to hear it right away in Spirits and Material World that that keyboard sound, and uh, uh, just a super song. I, I I love every little thing she does about every little thing she does is magic. Um, um, I agree with you. It's 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 maybe not the most typical song by the Police, although you do get those steel drums in the background that give it this reggae feel, and it's a, it's a joyful song. It's it's a <clears throat> it's an old song. It's an old song that 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 I think Sting had been tinkering with for a long time and wasn't quite satisfied with, and they demoed it and they hadn't gotten it quite right, but now they do, and it's a it, it's a big hit for them. Um, I like uh, I like Omega Man too. Now this is the Andy Summers song that that Jeff likes. Um, um, he wrote it. The other guys didn't. And there's there's an interesting story about this song, which is that when they when they'd finished recording the album, the uh, uh, they recorded it in uh, in the Caribbean. And I, I, I assume that they, you know, the suits are now listening to it in New York, this, this, this product from one of the hottest bands in the world. What's, what's here? And they're thinking, what's the single? And, and the thought was, well, it's Omega Man. This should be the lead single from Ghost in the Machine. And, and Sting heard about this and went solo, went on his own, had a meeting with these folks and uh, vetoed that. He says, this will absolutely not be the first single from this album. Um, you know, he sang it, but it wasn't his song. And, and Andy Summers didn't know this was going on. And, 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 and the reason I even know about the story is because Andy Summers writes about it in his memoir. And, and he writes about it with some bitterness. And, and here, here, here we get an insight into what ultimately leads the band to break up. They, are, they, they, they famously fought with each other and had disputes and so on. And, and, and the amazing thing is they came together for five incredible albums and, and did so much together. But, but at some point, they just, they just burst apart. They fought over uh, artistry. They fought over money. You know, Sting was making a lot more money than these guys because the money's in the songwriting. Right. And, 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 to, and to veto, you know, maybe Andy Summers one shot to have a major hit that's going to, you know, pay off your mortgage and more. You know, he did that behind his back is, is, is at least how Andy Summers views it. But it's, it's a very fine song. And I, I do wonder if they'd gone with it. Um, if they'd gone with it, would, would, would it be sort of in the, you know, uh, this this uh, in our ear the way so many of these other songs are? <laughs> Sting, by the way, believed that every little thing she does is magic should be the single, and I think that was not wrong. Um, certainly, you can't argue with the, with the success of it. Um, but I like I like every song on this album. Um, One World, Not Three is a great reggae tune. I love the fade out where he says they seem a million miles away, but they get a little closer every day. I mean, what a great line about 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 the third world coming into the first world. That that's a song about the refugee crises we see even now. 
um, and it's a it's 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 almost a pure reggae song. I like Demolition Man. There's a really uh, it, it it can sound like a grand mess, I suppose. There's so much going on in that song, but it's it's a great groove, and uh, I lo- I love a thing that Stuart Copeland does in here, and 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 there's there's a line in Demolition Man where Sting sings tied to the chair and the bomb is ticking and then the background you get this sort of explosive drum sound it's 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 muted it's in the background because the sense of an explosion in the background Copeland does that and it's a it's a it's a choice it's a, it's 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 a choice that would work even if the lyric weren't about sitting in a chair and the bomb is ticking but it, but it, it's a little drum thing that that augments the lyric, and he does it again in Synchronicity too on the next album with the line uh, a humiliating kick in the crotch and get bum bum right after that, and and so so this is a nice example of of of, of Copeland this this master drummer. Uh, taking his instrument and his craft to make the song just a little bit better. He's 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 backing up the lyrics in a way that another drummer wouldn't even occur to another kind of drummer, I suppose. But uh, I love this album, and um, um, I like the horns and uh, and the keyboards, and it's a it's a different sound for the Police, but but you, it it is still the same band. It's still rock and reggae. They're doing a few different things, and I don't think there's a there's not a song on this album that I would drop. Uh. I think it's an improvement, and as both of you guys have mentioned, look, you, you can tell the production difference from uh, the very start. You know, Spirits in the Material World starts with the horn and synth in the first 10 seconds, and, uh, you know, there's reverb, there's a little more harmonizing on Sting's vocals throughout the album, and it's not, you know, John had talked earlier about how special it was to hear all three of these guys playing their instruments. That's a whole heck of a lot tougher to do on Ghost in the Machine because there's so much happening. Uh, but I still think it it works fairly well, and I, I think it's better than their last uh, uh, album. Uh, Spirits of the Material World, you know, you know the, the seeds here are also sown for, of course, the band Implosion, which would be coming not that far down the line. On Spirits in the Material World, uh, Andy Summers basically demanded to play guitar on it, and Sting said, we don't we don't need you, we've got this, the synth. And Summers said, I'm gonna play, and so Sting said, go play. And in the final mix, he had Summers down so low, you could barely hear it um, over the synth in the mix. Uh, every little thing she does is magic. Other guys hated what Sting wanted to do with that song in terms of production. Uh, Copeland, uh, in a roundabout way, says he was kind of tricked into playing the part, uh, you know, the drum part on that song. But my favorite uh, story about the writing of that song, John, it's an old song. And apparently Sting could not find a rhyme for magic. In the, in the chorus of the song, other than tragic, and he wasn't th- thrilled with tragic, and the only other word he, he had was pelagic, which I think means ocean-going fish. First of all, you're sting by a rhyming dictionary, but second of all, I also like the idea of like a spinal tap sting going, you know, from Milwaukee to Missoula, Montana, to St. Louis. Anybody in the arena? Do you have it, anything that rhymes with magic? Please, I've got to finish the song. Uh, but it's a fantastic song. Both of you guys uh, cover that very, very well. I also love Omega Man, which both of you guys pointed out. I don't think either of you, though, mentioned uh, Secret Journey. Yeah, I was about to say. I think that's the other good song on this record. Which is right near the end of the album, but it's a it's a, a perfect marriage of melody and lyrics. Uh, you know, before Sting became a little too overbearing with his messaging, it is a song about, you know, going somewhere on a journey to kind of find yourself and find spiritual guidance. So that's there, but the lyrics match that that beautiful melody so well. It's a good song. 
I like Demolition Man for the most part. Um, too much information I don't at all. It's actually one of my least favorite police songs. It's kind of this like this thrashing, uh, muted kind of funk track, which uh, it seems a little out of place on the album. But again, they sound so bored. They sound like they're literally churning out product to fill a record on those songs. It almost offends me. It offends me, Scott. As a, I don't know. As a music lover. Uh, but I do think Ghost of the Machine is better than uh, than Zenyatta Mandata. Uh, no. Yeah. Uh, but that leads us to the last, the biggest album of the career, Jeff. Ah, oh, well, yeah. There's not a lot to be said about synchronicity except that there's everything to be said about it because this is the album that every single human being in the United States bought a copy of and knew about uh, in the 1980s. came out in, uh, I think, uh, late 83. But for me, it was like the album of 1984, 1985. I was like four or five years old. And boy, I, I knew this one backwards and forwards. I actually, for the longest time, um, kind of held this view. And, and maybe it was a view that was sort of um, not as considered as it should have been. That uh, it, This is an album that the, the second half of it, which has all the really major hit singles, or really kind of the middle of the album, from Synchronicity 2 on to Wrapped Around Your Finger, is fantastic. And we all know all those songs and we all know why. But that the rest of it is is basically indefensible garbage. Now, I've, I've come back and I've listened to it later. And unlike the rest of the Police albums, this one actually has grown on me and i and i see the appeal where previously i had dismissed it of songs like synchronicity one the opening song on the album and uh the weird you know brontosaurus is like humanity allegory of walking in your footsteps uh i like those i think miss gridenko actually isn't a terrible song and uh the one i've really come to appreciate is tea in the sahara which I think is a beautiful number. And then I think if the original album had been left unmolested and they hadn't tacked on Murder by Numbers onto the CD version, uh, it would have been better for it because I think Murder by Numbers is actually a pretty poor song and I don't like it. It's just a, kind of a, a, an ungainly attempt at uh, jazz rock that uh, has no real merit to it. Uh, uh, I think Tea in the Sahara is the way the album should have ended. Uh, but, uh, of course, the uh, song I'm avoiding talking about is Andy Summers' Mother, one of the most <laughs> famously terrible songs of all time. I was actually on a vacation with my wife in Phoenix recently, and we were driving uh, to Sedona and on these highways with these mountains and these big ravines and cliffs everywhere. And uh, the radio station we were listening to, the classic rock radio station, put on Mother by the police, and I literally nearly put the car into the ravine. I nearly drove off the road when I heard them playing it, uh, not only because you don't expect that to come on classic rock radio, but because it is, my lord, one of the most terrible things I've ever heard. Um, I also think Oh My God is completely un, you know, distinguished in every respect and has, has very little to recommend it. Um, but uh, the, the famous songs on this album, I want to let you guys talk about them because there's, they're, they're before the most famous pieces of, of the band's career. But the one I would like to say something about the most is Synchronicity 2, uh, which is a song that if you're listening to this podcast right now, I would submit to you it's quite likely that you know, but you may not know that you know. Because for years, this is a song that haunted me for, I think, almost a decade. Um, 
where I had heard it on the radio and I knew I loved it. And I would periodically try to go look online. I thought, well, is this a police song? I can't find the lyrics in any of the titles to these songs. And then I thought, is it a Sting solo song? No, I could never figure out what it was or, or who it was. And I almost began to yep. feel like some weird dream. And then I found out it was called Synchronicity 2 because, of course, the lyric doesn't appear in that song in yep. any way. I think it is the best vocal performance Sting has given in his entire career with the police. I think it is one of the most interesting guitar performances Andy Summers has mm -hmm. put in in his entire career with the police. And I think Stuart Copeland puts a much more straight-ahead approach on the drums, straight up, almost arena rock, uh, in his approach, uh, nothing like the sort of you know, reggae touches he would have thrown onto earlier police songs, but I think it's incredibly forceful and physical. This is their epic anthem, the only time they ever really attempted one. I think it is one of the most successful songs in their history. I'll throw the rest to you guys. Uh, so quickly on Synchronicity 2, I, I will echo uh, Jeff. I, 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 I love that for a long time and, and uh, has not dimmed through the ages. And, and John mentioned earlier the, the humiliating kick in the crotch line. The police. By the way, can I get away? Can I point out that Sting actually gets away with writing about the Loch Ness monster in yes. a rock song? He gets away with it. Yep. That, that alone, that alone, I, I tip the cap. Oh, but that's an important part of the song, Jeff. <laughs> it actually well, is if you believe in Jungian synchronicities, which is what he's writing well, about. So, so, yeah, so no, first, so what a great song, right? This is one of the best songs they've ever had. It's, it's more pure rock and roll than a lot of things. One of you said arena rock. That's kind of right. I mean, that's a, that's a great arena rock sound. Great backbeat to it. I love I love the sort of uh, uh, you know warning signal uh, uh, beginning mm -hmm. to it. That 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 sort of high pitched uh, tone. Um, the great backbeat. Um, Sting is Sting. Sting is, as 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 a vocalist is really at, 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 at peak powers at at this song. Lyrically, it's about quiet desperation. Right, has one of the greatest lines about uh, getting stuck in rush hour traffic. Right, T trapped like lemmings into tiny metal boxes. Tiny metal boxes. Contestants right. in a suicidal race. I mean. I can't t how many times I've been in a traffic jam and thought of that line or, or reached for the iPod and said, said to my wife, let's put on synchronicity too. Um, um, so it's, so, but there's, there, there's, there's so much more to the, to, to, to the lyrics where it's this one person at this, this sort of family, one person after another and in, 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 in lives of quiet desperation. And then where does the Loch Ness Monster fit into all this, right? Because that's, you know, way off somewhere else is the Loch Ness Monster. And, and it's like, well, how does, how does that do anything? Um, it does have to do with you know synchronicity, the Carl Jungian principles, and I've never quite understood that stuff. But but my thought it's is it's a relief in a way well, from, well, from the intensity. But I think there's the some meaning to it. I think there's some meaning to it, which is which is here are these people who are in this awful situation. They're miserable. They don't like their lives, and yet off somewhere else is this mystical 
profound power. This, the, the, and, and it says our, our world is full of wonder and things we don't understand. And, and it's, it's, a nice, it's a nice juxtaposition. So I, 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 think, I, think, I think it all makes sense in the end. Um, I'll let you finish. So I, a lot, I can say a lot more about, well, about, about synchronicity. Let me go. I'll do mine, and I'll let you finish up the album. Uh, King of Pain is one of the big hits from the uh, album. And I've always liked King of Pain. And I, I always think of it as this uh, sectioned, segmented song, right? There are these little parts, probably five or six different parts in that song uh, that all work very well. So as a listener, you kind of, you know, you heard a song before, you know to expect where these little sections kind of start. And, and I think it serves the song uh, really well. And it's got a beautiful melody to it, too. I've always loved uh, King of Pain. There's a little black spot on the sun today. It's the same old thing as you're going to tackle every breath you take i'll just say you know that section uh since you're gone i've been lost without a trace that's just a beautiful section of music great lyrics you know people misconstrue uh, it as being a love song i don't know how much that's true anymore right but back then they did and i'm sure it drove people nuts the same way it drives me nuts when like eric clapton's wonderful tonight is it someone's first dance oh right. everyone's wonderful tonight no it's this <laughs> drunk who can't stand up by himself, who has to be dragged home by his lady, and who can barely, you know, mumble the words, you look wonderful tonight, before passing out on the bed. It's not really a love song, if you think about it. Uh, Every Breath You Take is not a love song. It's obsession and jealousy. But that uh, that beat, with Copeland didn't like the drum on that uh, track at all. He said there's no groove to it at all. Uh, but so I wrong. Think, yeah, I think it serves the song well. I, I really do. And Jeff doesn't like Murder by Numbers. I actually do... Like a bluesy swing to it, uh, I, I, you know, as you said, it was kind of tacked on the CD release. So, does it kind of fit the rest of the album? Eh, but I do like the song itself. Um, and by this point, the band was imploding. They were recording uh, their sections in different rooms. The producer said for quote social reasons. Uh, and the one track that has grown on me over the years is actually Synchronicity One, uh, which kind of has this jumping beat to it. I, I've, I've liked that more over the years. John, so as we come to the end, finally Jeff and I are in basic agreement on this one. I think ah. so. Synchronicity, nineteen eighty three. This one has the biggest smash hits, but not everything on it is is a high point. Um, I like Synchronicity one. I think Walking in Your Footsteps. That's an okay song. Uh, the less we say about Oh My God and Mother, the better. Uh, Miss Gradenko is okay. Then we get to Synchronicity 2. Great song. We've already talked about it. Next is uh, First Song Side 2, Every Breath You Take, the monster hit, right? If you've only heard one song by The Police, this is it. It's kind of sui generis. It's in a class by itself. 
uh, and I and and it's and it's not you know it doesn't sound like other police songs in some fundamental ways, but it's a beautiful song. It's a lovely song. Um, Scott, can I just can I just say about every breath you take that the thing that really makes that song? I know Stuart Copeland doesn't like his drumming, but I think his drumming is fine on that song. But what really makes that song absolutely legendary as a musical track is Andy Summers's guitar, which is the opposite of flashy guitar. It is just very crisp, simple arpeggiated playing that completely serves the melody and the chord structure without ever in any way deviating into a solo, and it puts me in the best possible possible way it reminds me of sort of a post-punk update to like steve cropper all right you know stacks volt you know that very kind of crisp soulful thing but of course translated to the slightly more icy you know you know british post-punk version of that but oh my god i mean perfect that he snaps every note off on that guitar without ever missing a beat and with realizing essentially that the song needs absolutely nothing more and to insert anything more to try to get fancy or to get you know showy on that would have actually affirmatively harmed it so to me what i like the most about uh the way the other two guys in the band play on every breath you take is the restraint that they show song is a marvel of restraint and if either of them had tried to get you know more aggressive with that it, it would have hurt it and it wouldn't have been as legendary as it is and i'm sorry for interrupting you john well there, there, there's a I kind think... of, i i, I there's, there's a kind of perfection to that song it's it's yeah. like the, it's like the perfect four minute pop rock song and and scott mentioned the lyrics and, and what are they about and sting has always claimed that they are what scott said that they're this sinister jealous obsession with somebody in, in in a creepy way this is um you know big brothers watching you almost but 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 not you know not a totalitarian state but but sort of an obsessive fan or obsessive ex-lover or something like that and there's a creepiness to it and you know I think the lyrics allow for that interpretation, but I think they allow for the other thing also. I think they allow for it to be a, a, a song of, of, of just innocent love, pure love. And, 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 you know, it gets played at weddings, and I don't think that's inappropriate. There, there are some funny examples of songs that people misunderstand because they don't, they don't know what the chorus really means. I don't think this is one of them. At least it doesn't have to be one of them. It's just a very nice song, and, 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 and there it is, sui generis for the police. King of Pain, great song. Uh, wrapped around your finger. I've always, um, I've always, I'm nostalgic about that. We talked about it at the top of the show, but this this was my entry point for the band, and um, I still like it a lot. Um, Tea in the Sahara is a tune that I I didn't particularly like at the time, but over the years I've changed my mind about this is this is maybe the one that I've kind of flipped on with the Police. Uh, I really do like it now. It's spare. I thought it was boring. 
uh, back in the day. But it's spare. It's um, inspired by a novel called The Sheltering Sky by, by Paul Bowles, um, which I've not read, but uh, if I ever I do, have. It's a dark, dark novel. Okay. So, so, you know, it, 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 it has kind of a cult following, this book does. And, yes. um, you know, Sting clearly read it and appreciated it. And, and if I ever do read it, it'll be because I've heard this song. Um, sort of, sort of a mystical, mysterious kind of quality to the song. I've just, it's, it's, it's grown on me over the time. I, I, I now really like it. I, I could, I could, I could skip murder by numbers, but here uh, with synchronicity, we've got what four, five really great songs, maybe six, and uh, um, gosh, if if every album ever recorded had 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 four to six songs of this quality, they they'd all be great albums. The, and just to wrap things up, this is the final studio album. Um, they all hate each other at this point, right? Mm-hmm. They've, they've been quarreling for years. They go on this enormous world tour, and that's it for them. Um, one of the interesting things about the police is, 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 is they're at the very pinnacle. They're at the very height of their, of, their, of their popular success, their commercial success. They are maybe the biggest band in the world on that synchronicity tour, and then they walk away from it. And we don't go through this period where they put out some albums that aren't quite as good, and they need to make there's, a there's comeback. There's no decline phase. They're, yeah, just, it's just I mean I you know I do think all five albums are really strong. You can make the case. A lot of people would say Synchronicity is the best. It's certainly the most popular. You can make the case that you know it's it's all it's all uphill for these guys. It just gets better and better and better. I don't really hold to that view, but I can I can understand it. And then when they're on top of the world, they walk away from it. You know who does that? Well, these guys did. And and they've left us with with five just super albums. So they yeah. I mean, I'm sorry, Scott. You were going to say no. I, I was going to move on to the the, the attempted uh, reunion a few years <laughs> after the fact, which didn't go so well. They they completed one song, "Don't Stand So Close to Me," '86. No, they completed two. Have you heard oh. their remake version of "Di Do 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 Di Da Da Da"? I don't think I have. Oh, it's on it's on YouTube. You can hear it there. Um, it's from the same sessions as "Don't Stand So Close," but they decided not to include it, and they used the original version on the Greatest Hits album. Uh, it is better than the remake of "Don't Stand So Close to Me," which is not something I say by way of real praise because it, it's still not that good. Uh, it's just uh, very fascinating to me how. They could completely sap both of these songs of their original urgency and their original energy in the remake and kind of made it pretty clear to me why the end had to happen because they guess in in the 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 two years since they had stopped working with each other, it seems that they had simply not even, you know, they they'd lost the ability to even create instrumental music with one another. Because man, I I find those two to be almost desecrations of the original. So well, maybe I, you guys I, like them. Well, I'm going to say a word of defense for "Don't Stand So Close to Me" '86, and I'm gonna I'm gonna start by saying I like the original better. I think it's actually much better. But I don't dislike this one. It does sound it does sound like 1986, doesn't it? I mean, that sounds like a song that was made mm-hmm. in 1986. Some other police songs, you know, Roxanne, Message in a Bottle, my goodness, there, there's a timelessness to them almost. This one feels like 1986 in certain ways, in, in ways that are not to its credit. Having said that, I remember when it came out and just got panned. Everybody said, how, how can you do this to, this to this great song? How can you remake it? And I thought, you know, first of all, I think it's reasonably catchy. Uh, it's 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 an okay song. Number two, you know, if you went to a police concert in 1986 
and it came to the time in the show where they're going to play Don't Stand So Close to Me, and they uncorked this one. You would have walked out thinking, oh, that's kind of cool. They reworked it. They did a different thing. They're, they're trying to reinvent a sound. They're experimenting. And, you know, it basically hung together. That's what you would have said. But no, if you, you know, the, 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 they, they re-record it and they stick it on the Greatest Hits album and everybody treats it like it's some kind of desecration. I thought, this is, this, how, how many bands re-record their earlier work when they want, it, when they want, want to reinvent it? Sometimes they'll do it because they want to, want to reacquire the rights to it right, or something right. like that. I think it would have been really cool if these guys had stuck with it and and taken taken 10 or 12 of their songs and reinvented them. Some of them would have worked, some of them wouldn't have worked. I would love for them to have tried Shadows in the Rain again, for instance, or take Fallout, which is the first single they ever did. It's not on an album and it's a very punky song written by Stuart Copeland. Um, um, what if they tried to record that as, as, as this band now that had gone through so much? I think I would have enjoyed hearing that. Now, it turns out it's not possible. They were just fighting too much then, and they just, they just they, they made this last attempt to come together, and, and, and it didn't work. But it does leave me wondering what, what might have been, and, and that's an album I would like to have heard. I think the best way to summarize Don't Stand So Close to Me is that uh, the song and the band itself unraveled over an argument in the studio over whether to use either Synclavier synthesized drums or Fairlight synthesized drums. Because the idea of actually having Stuart Copeland drum, well, I mean, that was just out of the question in every respect. Actually, the reason it was out of the question, I think, is because he'd broken his collarbone or something like that. But when you, when your band dissolves over an argument about which variety of fake drums to use, your band was going to dissolve no matter what. So the drums are the worst part of that song, and uh, and you're right. Um, when when your band dissolves over which kind of drums to use, you recognize your band is actually dissolving over other things, and that's that's just the excuse. How many marriages too over what kind of drums to use? Just <laughs> over in a second. Um, we did not have to wonder about what would be uh, of a Sting solo career. He would go on and release a string of successful albums with a string of successful pop hits. Uh, many of them I found just perfectly fine. None of them I really loved. Um, but the one song that was a commercial hit that I, I liked more than the others is probably If I Ever Lose My Faith in You in 1991, somewhere in that range. It's a nice song. However, however... I will never forgive Sting for being involved in the atrocious song called All for Love with Sting. Oh, with Brian Adams. Brian Adams and Rod Stewart. I think for the Three Musketeers soundtrack, which is why there were three yes. of them doing the song. And Brian. And it's all for it's one. Horrendous. And all for love. It's I remember it well. Horrible. So no matter what good he did in the solo career, it's going to be brought down in my mind, outweighed on that scale by his contributions on All for Love. Well, and one, one of the ironies of that song is that the song Peanuts from yeah. the first album is right. actually about Rod Stewart, according to Sting. 
and it's about Rod Stewart, you know, his fame oh, and how it brutal. annoyed Sting, right? And, Derek, and you sang you sang your song for much too long. There's something wrong. Your brain is gone. Yeah, that's about Rod Stewart, yeah. and 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 Sting Sting reflects later in life. He says, you know, I became. He doesn't put it quite this way, but he, he observes that I became famous too, and and he could imagine maybe a young band writing a song about him the same kind of way, and then you get this this atrocious song on which he performs oh, with awful. with Rod Stewart. I think the best song that Sting wrote in his solo career was his uh, fundraising tribute for young Timmy O'Toole, uh, the boy who was stuck down a well on The Simpsons. <laughs> yes, oh, we're yes, sending I our love down the well. Yes. Uh, There's I, a hole in my heart as deep as a well for that poor little boy who's stuck halfway to hell. I think that was. I was, I I've, I've really I mean I think that that's better than we are the world if you ask me. So I I I've enjoyed Sting's solo career. It's the first concert I ever went to was was his first solo tour, Dream of the Blue Turtles. He played I think almost the entire album of the solo material plus brought in some some police police deep cuts. Uh, that led to what what is my favorite album of his in his solo career, which is the Bring on the Night, the live album uh, that came out of that tour. Favorite song from Sting is probably Fortress Around Your Heart, um, um, which I pro probably not everybody's favorite song, but I've always kind of liked that one. And uh, like and, and I'll, I'll say this, his solo career is interesting in in this sense. Uh, he, he is, he's, he, he's experimented constantly. You know, he's done, he's done, you could call him soft rock, adult contemporary, kind of some safe stuff for Sting in a sense, you know, growing old with his audience, you might say. But he's also recorded folk songs. He's recorded classical music. He's recorded old religious hymns. You know, he doesn't need to do that. He's in a position where he can. And I, I, I'm not going to say I love that stuff. But I admire the fact that he wants to try. Um, he, there's an album called Symphonicities. Which is which is um, um, oh even the title just gives me douche. Well, well right, to. so so you know not the best album, but he's taking his songs and performing them with a symphony. I like that he tried, okay, and 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 so he's he's not afraid to fail. He's not afraid to try a new thing, and uh, uh, his last um, last album came out last year. It's called Fifty Seventh and Ninth, and I've been listening to it on Spotify a little bit. Some decent songs on there. Decent songs, you know. Nothing, nothing as good as the Heights of the Police, but you know, certainly listenable. I might go back to that one. He has another album coming out later this year. We're having this conversation in February of 2018. He has a he has an album coming out with 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 a reggae star called called Shaggy, about whom I know nothing. But <laughs> but at this point in his career, Sting does not need to be. Uh, co-writing albums with 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 reggae stars, and yet that's what he's doing. So this is a guy who is enjoying the music, trying new things, and I think when all is said and done, we look back on 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 the Sting solo career. We're, we're going to say, you know, the Police that was the best stuff, but he was interesting and good for a long time afterward. I want to say one thing seriously this time about Sting's solo career. I agree with with most of what everyone else is saying that the solo stuff just doesn't measure up to the uh, sort of the urgency and the intensity of yeah. his work with the police. Um, I've always kind of liked Dream of the Blue Turtles. It's one of those song albums that was in my dad's CD collection as a kid, so I played it a lot. I liked Love is the Seventh Wave, and If You Love Somebody, Set Them Free. Those songs will still get me bopping around. Uh, but there is one song, one specific song that I really do want to single out as being not only his best song uh, from his solo career, but being the one Sting song uh, that 
lives up to the greatest work that he did with the police and would actually fit very well in with the latter half of the band's career. And that's all this time off of the Soul Cages. It's uh, the lead single off of the Soul Cages. It's yep. 1989. This is the album that he wrote, really inspired by his father's death. And the song is explicitly about that, about about his father passing away, and about you know the Catholic priests coming around to, you know, you know, bless him, and you know the the thoughts that 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 made him think about sort of eternity and and immortality and uh, religion as a whole, and what it means to be living on this earth, and then to pass away from it, and it's all tied to just a magnificent musical composition and a really great band performance it's driven by mandolin of all things i'm always a sucker for a mandolin um uh, this is his finest song and it's it's the one that i really really hope that people who who know the police and have just sort of written off sting's solo career as being sort of aor adult contemporary mush make it a point to go out and listen to go find it on youtube if you can because i think it's a really beautiful song with a really excellent lyric maybe one of his finest ever lyrics um that you know that i think would have been one of you know the four or five best things that he'd ever done with the police if he had done it with them and that's the only thing in his solo career i can say it about Sucker for uh, mandolins. You don't know this, but I'm a sucker for xylophones in, in xylophones. rock songs. Ah, I'm a big okay. fan. Yep. Political Beat, Scott Bertram, Jeff Blair, John J. Miller, at Hey Miller on Twitter, director of the Dial Journalism Program at Hillsdale College, national correspondent for National Review. And we come to that portion of the show where all of us give you our choices for the two key albums of the five key songs you need to hear or own from the police. We always let our guests go first. John, the floor is yours. So for me, with these five albums, you can almost, for me, just just pull two names out of a hat, and I'm, I'm going to be okay with the result. Any two, I'm okay. I could make a, I could make a, uh, I could, I, 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 I could do well with them. But we have a choice here, and so I think what you do is you go early and you go late on this one and you pick one album from the first two maybe three and then one album from 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 the last two and so i'm going to go with the very first album outlandis d'amore which has this wonderful punk energy it feels like a young band doing its first album really uh really wanting to have great cuts every every at, at every opportunity uh, just full of energy. We get we get the reggae influence, which is the thing that that really defines this band. And I think makes them different from other bands. So so I start with uh, Outlandish Demore. I think that's 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 on my uh, best two list. And then I'm going to jump to Ghost in the Machine, which has I think uh, track to track is 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 maybe the strongest thing they ever did. I like every song on this album. Some are better than others, but we're talking about great songs versus good songs. So um, 
um, those are my two. I think you get uh, I think you get a nice taste of the band in its early days, and then you get a nice taste of the band when it's experimenting, doing some different things, and uh, sounding good the whole time. And then five songs. The temptation here is to take one from each album, of course, and I'm almost going to do that. Uh, so my first song is Next to You. The, the first song off the first album, it just has this punky energy. And uh, uh, as I mentioned before, it's the last song they ever played live. Um, just a great song. And uh, uh, um, 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 I don't know if it was a single or, or a radio hit. I know I, I only know it from playing it, um, in, it on, 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 on the tape or on the CD. But Next to You is my first one. Second one from Regatta de Blanc. Um, I'm tempted to go with Message in a Bottle, but I'm not gonna. I'm gonna go with um, uh, The Bed's Too Big Without You. I just like it. I've always just liked it. Um, Walking on the Moon is kind of a, a close call on this one, but I'm gonna go with The Bed's Too Big Without You. A great reggae rock song that just sounds good at any length. Next, for third, I'm gonna go off the reservation here to a song that was not on any of their albums and it was on a movie soundtrack for a movie called Brimstone and Treacle. And I've never seen this movie. I don't know anything about it. Uh, I believe Sting had a role in it. But um, um, this, this album came out in 1982. It had several performances from different bands on it. But there's a police song on it called I Burn For You. And I first heard this song in concert at a Sting concert in, in 1986. This was the first concert I ever went to. So I'm like 16 years old. And, uh, you know, I didn't know what you do at a concert, how you act, whatever. But it was a Sting show. And it was Dream of the Blue Turtles tour. And partway through the set, he plays I Burn For You. I'd never heard it before. It has this great bass line at the end. And I thought, oh my gosh, what is that? I've never heard this. Not on the solo album. It's not anything I've heard from the police. And with a little bit of research, which was so much harder back then before we had Google, yep. um, um, I discovered this, this song called I Burn For You, which is on this, this album soundtrack. There's, there's a few other police songs on that album that you won't find on their, on their regular five studio albums. And, and they're, they, don't, they don't belong on them, and, 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 and they're nothing special. But this one I've always really liked. And, and, and now you can just you know, go find your MP3 and listen to it anytime you like. Sting has played it in concert uh, many times during his solo career. It's a very fine song. I Burn For You. That's number three. <laughs> Four Invisible Sun, maybe my favorite song lyrically that they did from Ghost in the Machine. Uh, haunting music, hopeful lyrics. Uh, it was kind of an Amnesty International song at one point. The the idea of you know the political prisoners needing hope and 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 so on. But I think I, it's basically hope in the face of despair. And I think that's that's something we can all relate to. And it's a kind of song we might need from time to time. So Invisible Sun is number four, and then number five Synchronicity too. Off of uh, off of the album Synchronicity, what a what a great song, a great anthem rocker, and uh, al uh, 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 
arena rocker in certain ways, but it's uh, every part of that song works, and uh, 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 and I like the lyrics. So, so we have uh, next to you, the bed's too big without you. I burn for you, invisible sun, and synchronicity too. Those are my five. All right, so my two albums. Um, I, I, I've been going back and forth. I think I'm just going to bookend it, which is uh, their first one, Outlandish Demore. I think is likely their best album, and so yes, it's going to be on this list of two. Uh, again, it's probably the least reflective of the rest of their output, but I, I think it's the best um, of all their of all their albums. And I'll say Synchronicity. I think from start to finish, it's probably the least amount of fill, and there are some really high points on there. Of course, King of Pain and Every Great Breath You Take, and both the Synchronicities, um, and so. You know, outside of those middle three or, you know, along with those middle three, I think Synchronicity probably is just a, a step above. So they're, they're first and last, uh, the two albums I think you should probably have. And then song-wise, from uh, the first album, So Lonely, is one of my favorite Police songs. Uh, seamless transitions there from the mellowness of, of, the, of the melody to the, to the punk aspect and, uh, and the reggae influence as well. From uh, Regatta de Blanc, again, I think possibly their best album or their best uh, song message in a bottle uh, just a tremendous effort by every single band member great riff by by summers uh that, that propels that song forward uh, i think it probably is their best moment and john said you're gonna pick one police song that's okay this is everything they they were in one song uh message in a bottle secret journey from uh, ghost in the machine is on my list again a great marriage of melody a great marriage of music along with the lyrics in that song. King of Pain from Synchronicity. Uh, I love the kind of, as I said, the sectionality of that song where you can anticipate which little portion is coming next. It moves along very well. And uh, I was going back and forth with this last one. I think I'll settle on Canary in a Coal Mine, a ska tinge number from Zenyatta Mandata. Again, just a little over two minutes. It doesn't overstay its, uh, its welcome, and it's a great track from the police. So those are my five. We head over to Jeff. All right. Well, the first one is Outlandos Demora. I think we all are. We all agree this is just uh, the, one of their most consistent records. Um, and then the, th- the second one I'll name is the one that both of you uh, wrongly, because you're wrong people who hold wrong views, have downed <laughs> on, and that's Zenyatta Mandata. I think uh, that even if the band themselves think this is one of their lesser releases, well, none of you people know what you're talking about. I'll be me against the world on this one. I think this is the place where the the trio aspect of their music was most fully realized before they started bringing in a lot of synths and horns and extraneous instruments and sort of you know know, smartening up their pop sheen for the later releases and i also really think this is andy summers's most creative album as a guitarist uh, where he's really kind of experimenting uh on the margins of pop acceptability and bringing those very very aggressive aggressively avant-garde guitar sounds into a pop context and succeeding several times. Uh, my five songs, I'll start with Truth Hits Everybody. It's my favorite song off of Outlandos. I think it's better than any of the big hit singles on that record. And that's saying something, since the big hit singles on that record are Roxanne and Can't Stand Losing You and Next to You and So Lonely. I think it's just a fantastic straight-ahead rock song, uh, probably one of the very few times the police would ever you know, work in that genre. And thank God that they were trying to pretend to be punks because there is an example of them doing it better than most punks ever could. Uh, second song I'll nominate is Contact. Now, I know that Message in a Bottle is nominally a better song off of Regatta del Blanc. Uh, 
but Contact is the one that I enjoy listening to more. I enjoy it more for the very, very strange bass line work, the very strange Andy Summers guitar work. Uh, the fact that it all comes together in a very kind of a melodically satisfying and harmonically satisfying piece, and the fact that it's a Stuart Copeland number, and, and prove that, you know, we all think of the police as, oh yeah, Sting wrote and sang all those songs. Well, he sang almost all those songs, but he didn't write all of them, and he didn't necessarily write only the good ones. Stuart Copeland was a fantastic songwriter when he chose his spots. Even Andy Summers came up with a few decent tracks here and there. Uh, third song I'll, I'll name is Do 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 Da 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 off of Zenyatta Mondada. I think this, in a way, is a song I prefer to message in a bottle in terms of songs that have that sort of uh, snapping post-punk sound that came to define the early years of the police. I think the the couplet, uh, you know, do-do-do-do, di-da-da-da, is all these words will ever mean. I think it's one of the funnier and more uh, sort of probing couplets that Sting ever came up with in his career. I think that uh, this is them at their angular and you know, chart ready best. I think it's a highly underrated song that people sort of skip over because they look at the title and they think, well, that must just be a pile of nonsense. It's anything but that. Uh, the fourth song is every little thing she does is magic. I've, I've talked about this enough during the show that I don't really need to sort of overly elaborate upon it here. I think it's the best single song in the police's career, even though in some ways it's the most uncharacteristic police song because it was very much a sting song that he sort of forced them to play over. Uh, but it was worth it because it's a beautiful, beautiful number, a wonderfully romantic pop song, and I love the piano on that number as well. And then the last one I'll name is Synchronicity 2, which is their their attempt at, I, at, I guess, the closest thing they ever did that comes to sounding like a stadium rock anthem, and I think it does a wonderful job of it. I, I love the lyrics, as we discussed at great length, even when they drop Nessie in there. And I also really love the chord changes, uh, the chord sequence. Mm -hmm on the uh, the pre-chorus of that. You know, you know, Daddy grips the wheel and stares alone into the distance. He knows that something somewhere has to break. Uh, the melody line that Sting sings over those chords there is probably one of the most compulsively satisfying uh, melodies that the police ever came up with, and uh, it haunted me for years before I could finally figure out who wrote it, what the name of that song was, for a very good reason. I think it's one of their best numbers. So those are my five. And there we are. It's the Political Beats look at the career of the police. We thank our guest on this week's episode, John J. Miller, Director of the Dow Journalism Program at Hillsdale College, National Correspondent for National Review, Head of the Student Free Press Association, which oversees the higher education news website, The College Fix, and he writes his new book, Reading Around Journalism on Authors, Artists, and Ideas. You can find him on Twitter at Hey Miller, uh, but don't follow him because there's like an internal competition here among which faculty member has the most follows uh, on Twitter. Are you winning that right now? Oh, you know, I don't pay attention to uh, people who no. have uh, no. as few followers as yeah. uh, persons whose names will not be spoken. Yeah. Okay. At Hey Miller. John, thank you so much for joining us on Political Beats and being our very first in-studio guest in the podcast history. You know, we sounded really good. I don't know if the content was any good, but we really sounded good here today, didn't we? We sound good. That's, no, that, that's that like most bands that make music today. That's right. Well, thanks. Thanks a lot, guys. Uh, rock on. We're going to auto-tune this to take care of my my uh, my voice issues this week, <laughs> getting over cold. Uh, all right. Uh, you can follow John, as I said, at Hey Miller. Jeff Blair at Esoteric CD. Thank you again, my friend. All right. Well, so we'll do it again next week. And my name is Scott Bertram. You can find me on Twitter at Scott Bertram. I hope to be sounding better next week. Again, 
You can find us on Twitter at political underscore beats. Subscribe to our feed, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, tune in. New episodes on Mondays. Find them as well at nationalreview.com. We invite you to listen, enjoy, share, leave reviews, please. This has been a presentation of National Review. This has been Political Beats.